Welcome to the Seven Figure Summit Podcast. I'm Scott Bywater, the founder and CEO of Copywriting That Sells. We help entrepreneurs leverage their email list, websites, funnels, and ads to get high-quality leads via strategic copy written in your brand's voice. Just go to copywritingthatsells.com.au to see some of our success stories. Also, don't forget, the Seven Figure Summit is always looking for guests. Simply visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au to apply. Welcome, everyone. This is the next episode of the Seven Figure Summit. And today I'm here with a um, an old client, actually, uh, by the name of Ian Yagante. And Ian's a, an ex-plumber who's gone on to build uh, quite a quite a sizable real estate portfolio and is also very passionate about helping people to grow wealth via property and, you know, uh, I guess the the other passion that that Ian has is really helping the you know helping solve the housing crisis that is is very much a part of uh, a part of the country. So um so I, I guess my first question for you Ian which I I'm really which I which I always like to start start off with like you weren't always you know a successful real estate uh, property guy yeah, with that, with all this, with acreage in yeah, in the Sunshine Coast and that sort of thing. What was it like when you were at the? I know you started out as a plumber. What was it like when you were at the bottom of the summit, looking up? Can you take us back to that that time? Uh, which summit, I suppose. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> so, look, I'm, I'm I came from a family of plumbers, and my had parents and uh, had always invested in, in real estate. And my dad it was the worst property investor ever. He bought at the peak of all the markets and sold at the bottom of them. And so um, my, uh, my watching that happen didn't really detect that anything was wrong because I didn't really know the whole story. I was younger when I saw all that happen. Um, and he's done all right out of property, like, you know, his own home. And um, we lost him last year, unfortunately, but he he was just a, a rock solid work um, every day of your life till six o'clock. So, um, you know, they've ended up with some nice properties. My mum's my still alive and, and, you know, sitting quite nicely. And I had followed that path of negative gearing. And for me, probably the bottom of um, that part of my investing was that I'd gone out and I started buying properties the way I thought that you should. Negative gear, make sure you get your tax back because um, you'll have more money in your bank account and that means you could buy more property. And unfortunately, it, it took me seven properties before I realized that I was negative $36,000 on a wage of about $96,000 with three kids at the time. Um, so by the time they took um, 36 off 96 and then they took you know you probably left about 30 grand and hopefully get 12 grand of that 36 back I used to think that you could get the full negative gearing back and it wasn't until that point in time where a mate of mine at work said to me mate I don't think you understand how this works and I was so embarrassed that I that even at that point in time I couldn't work out what interest rates were like you know it was so stupid and that was the bottom for me but thankfully the bottom for me meant that I could look up and do something different and from that point in time I decided that things had to change I go I went out and learned about positive gearing um we sold down out of our seven properties we sold down six of them uh we went from negative 96 to positive 36 in the space of um about 12 months and then six months later, I was in a position to actually leave work. Now, could you do that today? 
we had a, a lot of things work in our favor, but during that whole process, I learned so much um, that it got me and put me into a position where I can now help other people. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. And 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 how old were you when you first got into property? My first property was at the age of eighteen, um, and uh, we did the typical ethnic thing. Um, I lived at home with my parents. Uh, I worked in the family business, no overtime. Um, so, you know, I worked hard, but I got to live at home for free. The house across the road came up for sale. So my parents took money out of the bank, put a deposit on it. Um, we, you know, got the loan for it. And three years later, we sold that for a profit. I paid my parents back their deposit and interest. And then that gave me my first home deposit um, with my wife at the time. And People say, oh, yeah, you're just so lucky to be able to, that that, that happened, and I am. I am lucky. Um, that's an unheard of thing nowadays, um, mostly, that people are in a position to be able to help their kids out like that, and I'm just very thankful that um, that happened for me and that I can do that too. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's 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 great. And and when you were going through that, that time, because you obviously – you obviously got started not knowing exactly what you were what you were doing, and then you ended up in a in a bit of a pickle. What did that What did that feel like when you were in that pickle, and what did you What did you learn from that? Um, there's there's a lot of despair and anxiety in those positions. The thing that I can say is. That, that despair and anxiety happens of whether you've got a dollar in the bank, $10, 10000 100000 a million dollars. That same feeling comes up. It doesn't matter what level you're at. It's just the number in the bank or the zeros change, right? What I learned from that situation was not just that I was uneducated and was just following the herd. I had done everything wrong. It wasn't just that I bought negative yield properties. I bought them in my own name, which is a no-no. Um, I... I, I had um, gone and cross-securitized. So I'd got gone to one bank and regardless of whether your loans are separate, if they're with the same bank, there's an all monies clause, which means they could come down and if you couldn't pay, they'll take anything they can. And the first house they'll normally sell is your own home because it's the best presented if they if they are owed money. Um, you know, everything that you could possibly do, no uplift, you know, four by two standard house and land package stuff. No, no, that nothing that I did at that point in time was actually with thought, with learning or with education. And in the end, um, I had to go and do the hard yards. And, you know, like I said, we were fortunate at that point in time. Could I do it again today? Yes, it would have taken me longer. Um, but to get to a six-figure income at that point in time, um, when most incomes were average income and about, you know, when when I got out of work um, was about 65 maybe, and we were at 120 grand so that I didn't need, to ha I didn't have to turn up to work. Um, so what I learned was that you can't do something without knowing about it. You can't trust that someone else is going to help you out because Maybe it's their pockets that are getting lined when they're selling you a house and land package. Um, and that, not to say like we do sell house and land packages, um, but we really, really focused on making sure the client gets something out of it. Um, and probably the most important thing out of all of that at the end of actually reaching the summit of that mountain um, was that for me, um, you can't do nothing. There's so many people out there that go, oh, if you've got, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? And, you know, you've, you, you don't have to be working. And I go, no, well, I, no, I don't have to be working 
but I tried sitting at home for three months and I drove everyone, including myself, insane. Um, so you need to do something. You need to have a goal to reach for, something to do, something that makes a difference is probably the most important point that I learned out of that. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. One of the, one of the, I guess, themes across interviewing people on this who've, who've been through this journey is that importance of fast action now there's obviously a there's obviously a balance right like you you couldn't be where you are today if you hadn't have just gone into like that rapid action but at the same time it caused you pain along the journey what what do you think the balance is there between that speed action and avoiding pain is it avoidable like what's what's the balance in your view yeah it's interesting um the older i get the less riskier i am um and the two extremes of risk are myself and my brother. My brother started plumbing at the age of 18. Um, he's st- stuck with plumbing. He's got you know a decent plumbing company with himself and his wife and his son um, that you know was that started with my father. Um, so there's three generations in there now. He bought a property, lived in that, did it up bought another one has got himself to a position where he's asset you know he's very asset rich right never took any risk i saw him put a, an, um, a contract on a property and i thought that's a cracker of a property but because you know one bird flew over it the wrong way he decided it was too risky and just withheld right and i look at my situation and i did everything risky had all the anxiety had all you know laying away and, and i've suffered from anxiety from i've I've never been diagnosed, but from the age of 14, I knew that I was anxious. Like there was something within me in, you know, you get that internal feeling that's just popping out the top of your head. And I knew, and yet here I was taking all these risky decisions, laying awake at night at 2am in the morning, staring at the ceiling. And what's happened for me over the last, I'm going to say 12, 13 years, um, is that I've slowly got to a position where I've had the realization that considered risk is a good thing. So, um, you know, going into something without experience is too risky. Um, And the number one thing I can absolutely guarantee you, which can sound so ridiculously stupid, right, is that every time you go against your gut, you're done. And every time I've gone against my gut, I've lost. And every time I've gone with my gut, I've been fine. And I've got a, a my best mate, Steve McKnight, who says to me, you can't get hurt by a deal that you don't buy. And you can regret the ones that you don't buy, but you didn't get hurt by them, right? So for me, it's about looking at it, considering it. And look, I mean, the property we're in here, most people would consider this an incredible risk. It's a It's 40 acres on the river in a flood zone, you know, you've got to build 3.8 meters high off the off the river face. Um, there's prawn ponds everywhere. It's overgrown. It's like it's just a mess, right? And um, Steve walked through and said, mm, "Don't do it." But my gut says that this is the right thing to do. You know, it's a new beginning for my wife and I. It's you know um, the family as well. There's a whole bunch of things that feels right about this property, and um, and yet the numbers for other people would say this is too risky. Um, so I think I think in the end, learning about your internal gut feeling and learning how to not let that be overridden by the numbers. Um, 
that's that's most important. That if the numbers show that you're going to make a 32% gross on this deal um, and your gut's just not right, go with your gut. Um, that's the most important thing. Mm, and that that's an interesting, uh, I guess, thing to explore is how do you trust your gut? How do you know when it's your gut and not your fears, your anxieties, your like how do you how do you de- you know decipher that if if you've got if you've got the gut feeling wrong in you being an analyzer and pulling out um again you're not going to get hurt by that you're going to regret it but you're not going to get hurt by it um where you do get hurt is where the numbers are saying it's awesome and your gut's saying eh, there's something not quite right so you know I'm not going to promote anyone to sit down and meditate and on this deal or go and do a tarot reading or anything, right? It takes, it's taken time for me to understand what that feeling is. And I can almost, I can almost remember the first time it was. I I drove into the, I, I'm, I'm big about making sure that you like where you're going to invest. You know, however you do that research. For me, it's going into that suburb or town and driving up and down every street that I can left, right, whatever. Um, you know, <laughs> again, if I go spiritual on you, it'll go to the end of a T intersection and which way do I choose to go left or right and see where it takes me. Right. Um, what do they call that? Asterisk, asterisk driving, astral driving, they call it. Um, so <laughs> you might just find that, um, that gem store that you're looking for. So yeah. So for me, it's driving up and down this one particular town that I was interested in investing in and the numbers were great and I drove in the main street and I felt it. I went, something's not right. But I put it off to, oh, you know, it might be the weather or it might be this or it might be that. I invested in there and I lost about 100K. So that was for me was the fine tuning of that feeling um, and it cost me 100 grand. It's like my first subdivision. My first subdivision, I lost three hundred thousand dollars, or what, um, or what might some people might say, I, I made a negative profit of three hundred thousand um, dollars. But that's that was my hex fee, right? That that one subdivision, the savior in that subdivision was the council inspector. Um, I'm a reasonably emotional person. I don't really hold back on my emotions, and um, I was doing the subdivision. My first, it was so hard this was like the hardest subdivision you could probably pick i picked it right um and i bought a da approved which just for anyone listening if you buy a da approved site it's quite likely the reason they're selling it is because it couldn't make money right so um 95 of the time so i'm sitting on the side of this hill clay running off the hill this council guy turns up with a letter in his hand which is probably a warning or a fine for um clay washing off to the hill into the stormwater drains and I'm halfway up um, sitting on my ass in the clay and I'm crying, right? I think he detects it halfway up the hill and I watch him with the piece of paper because he had it out in front of him, fold it and put it in his back pocket. And he said, what's going on? I said, this is so hard. And he says, man, I see guys like you come along all the time. Young guys, you have a go. And the first one, it doesn't work out. Most of you never come back for the second. The second one, if you come back, you do okay, you break even. The third one, you absolutely kill it and you'll be right for life. And I just couldn't believe that this guy, and he was a hard-nosed bastard, this bloke, right? Um, and that those those sentences to me changed everything. Um, I, I just got stuck in. I finished the project. 
we made the loss and 300,000 in those days was a huge amount of money. That's like seven, $800,000 nowadays, right? But it gave me everything to learn how to move forward with it. And interestingly enough, that gut feeling on that one wasn't quite right either. Um, yet it made the difference. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that interesting? And the, it's, like, like I got um, the the goosebumps when you were talking about what he said to you because it's that's probably the most that and the gut feeling are the things that are two of the big takeaways from this this interview. It's um, and I, and yeah. I, you know I, I can't I've looked him up and I can't get in contact with him right and I, I dare say he's well retired because he was close to retirement back then. Um, I I don't think he I didn't ever get to tell him how profound and how how much of a difference he made in my life to to take the time to see someone else that was suffering and then say hey mate it's going to be okay and not only is it going to be okay stick with it you'll be you'll be better um and you know you go through lot there's people like that that enter your life and you just wish you could grab back that moment knowing what was going to happen in the future and say to them thank you very much you know it, sometimes you know, you get the tough love and you go, oh, geez, thank God they said that to me. Um, but that one was just pure empathy and pure advice um, to help me. And interestingly enough, he never gave me that fine. As he walked down the hill, he says, can you put some bales in front of all that water that's going out on the hill? It doesn't look good for you, mate. <laughs> and that was it. He left. Um, so, so yeah, like it, it, it's, it's, I just wish I could find this guy um, and, and say thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the saying. I saw a quote recently. It's like, you don't know what life is about until you've done something for someone who can never, yeah, who can never repay you. Um, yeah. Uh, it's Steve McKnight, uh, my mate, who's just planted, I think he's planted 600,000 trees on a carbon credit farm, right? So it's a wow. disused farm that was just trampled upon and never was going to be any good. He's gone and planted 600,000 trees. And he brought out a quote, um, and I can't remember the exact quote, but basically um, it says something along the lines of, um, you know, the future of a man is a man that plants a tree of which shade he'll never be able to be under, but the generations after will be, something like that. And that's quite profound, that you're doing things today that make a difference. Your legacy is that you plant a tree today, which means that generations later someone can actually sit in the shade of it. And, you know, that's his project. That's his passion, his passion project that he calls. Yeah, yeah. And 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 after you, after you, which is a fantastic thing to do, and, and one of the things I'm curious about is after you have climbed that summit, right, so your, your, your number one concern isn't about, like, if you look at probably like 98% of the planet, right, it's like, how do I make, you know, how do I make money to cover my bases, to look after my family? That That's sort of the question, one of the number one questions. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy, that's why it is, because survival is number one. What happens after you've climbed that summit and that, that survival isn't your number one? Does that shift in terms of the way you think in that way? Yeah. So the next mountain um, was probably the biggest change in my life which has set me on the path that we're on today um in so what i achieved 
in in the 2000s, early 2000s, um, the ability not to have to work. Um, my goal was always to be rich, right? That's everyone's goal, I want to be rich. And interestingly enough, on the way up, I read a quote that said, uh, rich people have a lot of money and wealthy people have time to spend it. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting quote. It didn't really dawn on me. I left work and um, we'd moved from Sydney to Queensland and we started started down the road of becoming a, a big block developer, buy a sugarcane farm, chop it up into the smallest squares that I can and put the biggest size boxes on those small squares, sell a four bedroom, two bathroom, negative geared package. And um, we would drive down to, to Sydney um, see the family or fly down this particular time we drove down. Over the previous months after having left work and becoming rich, um, I noticed a change in me that I became started to become unhappy um, and more unhappy. And um, I got down to Sydney and people, I'm a pretty much like muck around, do whatever, do whatever I can to make people laugh. Don't take life too serious but they noticed I was serious and we spent uh, a couple of weeks down there. And um, the night before we came back, I just couldn't sleep. The anxiety was up um, staring the ceiling. Look at the bank account. It's really healthy, but here I am the unhappiest I had ever been in my entire life, but I'd reached that goal of becoming rich. So something was misjudged and um, we got in the car and I didn't say much all the way up the coast. We stopped at a place called Pottsville um, to meet with our life coach um, online. And um, and I asked the girls, the four daughters, I asked them to go out and play in the tree while Christine and I had this meeting with Michelle. And um, I had planned to drive my children home, get my wife home, um, and that night I was going to end my life. There was something I said during that meeting with Michelle where Michelle, um, having been trained for it, picked out that there was something not quite right and that something had to be done. And, there, and in that car, an intervention happened that changed um, the decision that I was that I had made. And from that point in time, we focused towards creating an outcome because all that was happening was that I was doing property stuff to get my seven figures so that I could be rich. And it didn't matter what the outfall was anywhere else. So I wasn't considering anyone else or anything else. And so from that, we decided to find a way to be able to develop something that was new, um, new in the modern investment strategy. Um, and that was going to make a difference. I started looking around and all of a sudden I found a policy that um, was brought in that year, 2009 with, um, the New South Wales state government, when granny flats came in, they also bought in boarding houses in the same policy, but no one was doing boarding houses. Everyone was doing granny flats. So I followed down that track. I started to look at the numbers and they made sense. I started doing some research, found it, finding out surprisingly at the time that the biggest growing demographic still is um, of homelessness in Australia is the over 55 single females. So here are these women that have been in-house and home for the last 30 years and all of a sudden they have a divorce and they've got nothing to their name and nowhere to live and can't get a job because apparently they're inexperienced because they've been looking after children and they're the most experienced people in the country, right? So 
all of a sudden we changed our focus. And so we came up with a slogan, it needs to make sense before it makes dollars. It needs to benefit the community first. And secondly, it needs to be financially viable because we can all sit at home and go broke. And so we came up with um, the co-living concept. And it's been around for generations, like from, you know, white Australia starting, boarding houses already existed, right? Um, and we do smaller versions. We do four, five, six, maybe people in a house, depending on the state. And what it does is we give everyone their own bathroom. We give everyone their own kitchenette, their own sitting area, um, their own bedroom, and they share the common kitchen, which they never go to, and the laundry to wash their clothes. So effectively what we've got is policies around the country that allow for you to be able to put little, little studios inside a standard everyday house. Looks the same from the front, but internally just operates a little bit differently. And so then all of a sudden what happened was investors were getting, I was, because I started doing it. I made all the mistakes myself before I gave it to the market. Um, and again, they've been around for a while. I was the first to bring to market, um, you know, in the early, in 2012, I think it was when I first came, came to the public, having mucked around for three years with it. Um, the investor now makes double, triple the cash flow. The people inside the house are now saving themselves one half to two thirds off normal weekly rent, including um, their utilities paid on their behalf. Um, we're looking after the middle class. We're not looking after drug dealers, criminals, pedophiles, like everyone thinks they were, we were. Um, that's all changed now. People have seen the perception and it's changed it. Um, so they're saving themselves money. So they, in three to five years, can buy their own home. And then what we've done is we've taken the stress off the bottom of the market, the social market in housing is a government job. It's not a private job. But with all the pressure that's happening from the middle of the market, the government's struggling to do anything. And so we ended up in a place where um, I went from incredibly unhappy to the most fulfilled I'd ever been in my life and still today really fulfilled. And so I come up with the quote that says, um, being rich doesn't make you happy but there's no use me telling you this because you won't work it out until you get there. And I've said it over and over again to people, having money won't make you happy. You know, it might buy you some business class tickets, but it won't make you happy. And, and unfortunately people have to get there's so much dominance on wealth or sorry, on richness, not wealthness um, that people don't, can't see it until they get there. And then they have to have something to be able to drive them to become a better person or more importantly, to help the community. Um, and that's really important. So, you know, I've gone on for a bit in that answer. What it gives me is the ability to do what I want. We just went away um, for seven weeks. I, I've done the six major marathons around the world. I just finished um, Kilimanjaro Marathon, which gave me my seven continents, right? Um so we then did Europe after that. We were away for about eight weeks. We came home. Um, Holly and I were have been in the business. Now CEO said, look, not that we don't want you to come back, but you don't need to come back. Can you just concentrate on what you can do for community? Um, and I'm happy with that, right? So my daughter tags me into a Facebook post of this um, woman just up the coast here. Who um, whose five-year-old son is just infatuated with Mario Brothers and the shower's leaking. Um, and um, she says, I just need someone to come in a plumbing truck dressed up as Mario and fix the shower. I'm happy to play for the plumbing. Um, is there anyone out there? So my daughter tagged me and I said, well, I, I can put on an ethnic accent. I'm pretty hairy. Um, I've got a truck. I'm a plumber and I'd love to do it. 
And that sort of stuff now is so fulfilling, so much more fulfilling than putting zeros in my bank account. And seriously, this is going to sound ridiculous. When I go to Bunnings, I don't specifically go to Bunnings for this, but when I go to Bunnings, I go to the plumbing aisles and I actually watch people looking at fittings and stuff and go, what are you trying to do? You know, it's a little bit of saying, just grab this fitting, that fitting and that fitting, and you'll be able to do that. And you give them a little tutorial um, and you walk away knowing that someone else has been helped. Sounds stupid, sounds ridiculous, but in the end, um, a smile on their face puts a smile on my face, which makes two people happier in this world. And if you start to, um, you know, multiply that, then you get a better better outcome from the community. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's a memorable stuff, isn't it? I know when, and I'm quite thankful, I know when my son was young, all I wanted to do, I was probably 28 or something, at the time when he was born and all I wanted to do was work and make money. My wife's like, no, you're going to finish at five o'clock and you're going to spend time with him. And I was quite resentful at the time, but, but I look back and I go, Oh, I'm so glad I did that because I I would never remember those hours or that time that I spent working, but I've got a lot of good memories from that time. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, and that's something I think I, I always look at now and I remember I go, oh, how do I spend my time? What's the most important thing even now? Because what will I look back on, on 20, yeah, in 20 years, 10, 20 years? Yeah. Just, I feel so guilty. Um, I, I didn't do what you were forced to do. I, I in the midst of all the work, had... Um, was traveling around the country doing things. Uh, there was one year that out of 365 days, I was away for 265 of them. And my four daughters um, have suffered immensely from my not being present, um, even when I was home. And um, my guilt comes from the fact that now I've got this time and I've had this realization of time that um, I've remarried and there's children in that um marriage that have come into our family and I get to spend time with them my daughters see that and my guilt is just huge over that and um you know we can work through that but I can't you can't recall time and in the end you know yeah you you should be incredible you are incredibly thankful that your wife made you do that and because in the end what do you got like I honestly look at my life now and I go if I had no money, I could go to the middle of Australia and I could pump septic tanks if I had to and I would be happier than what I was at that point in time where I just was giving away all my time, all for the zeros and no fulfilment. And um, it's just, yeah, the guilt is something that we're working through at the moment because um, it's it's tough and it's hard. It's hard on my girls, really hard on my girls. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can imagine. What what advice would you have for someone, like if someone's listened to this and they're, I don't know, back where you were in the early days when you were a plumber and you wanted to create wealth and all of that sort of thing, in in how to in how to climb that summit in, I guess, the, I don't know if the smartest way is the right way to put it, but in a way where you grow wealth and you achieve your lifestyle goals without giving up, the most important things, I guess, yeah. and 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 having that regret. I think 
probably the best analogy thinking what you just said is if we want to get to the summit so i've just we you know just six months ago on oh no, six months ago um four months ago did kilimanjaro and kilimanjaro is um hard you're at elevation when when you're in a position of turning up to your 40 hour a week job um it's hard to breathe it's hard to make things meet at the end um and in the end, if you get to Kilimanjaro and you try and go straight up, you're done, right? That risk of taking the straight line up, which is why there's 86 switchbacks on Kilimanjaro on the route that we took to get there. And it was slow, trudging, walking, because you can't run, you can't jog, you're just impossible to do so unless you've done it 20 times, right? Like the porters have. So take the switchbacks. Don't go the direct route take less risk do you need to be my brother no you'll end up in the same position you'll just be there for a longer period of time um so so take the switchbacks take the time um grab on people around you that experience that have done it before um you know having that support of someone that's done it before um paying someone that's done it before to get you into a better position there's no doubt in Australia, if you buy property today in 10 years' time, you'll be wealthy, right? But how much pain are you going to go through to get to that point? So for me, cash flow is king. If you can buy a property and it can look after itself um, for the next 10 years, you know you're going to double your wealth in 10 years' time on average in Australia. Um, but more importantly, you can't buy time. You cannot, right? So the best thing to do is... Be Fijian. Why do some of the poorest people in the world that live in Fiji, um, why are they always voted the happiest people in the world? And it's because they've got family and friends around and money's not their focus. Um, it's the unfortunate thing that happens. And interestingly, the, the kids' school takes a group over to Fiji every year and these kids are baffled by the happiness that happens over there because they have nothing and they're coming from a private school and they can't work it out to start with but eventually they get there and it makes a difference to them so spend time with family and friends yeah yeah i've i've, I've read some of the blue zone stuff and and it does talk about that where and i think it was also in the outliers the book outliers but the importance of community in that in that aspect uh, is just so, so critical. How, how important do you think community is to, to happiness versus, versus wealth? Um, it's, it's our priority in our business. The creation of community is what I always go back to um, my auntie Carmel. So I grew up in a street in Sydney um, in the Eastern suburbs and um our house was speckle render white and brown with bars on the windows, a floor tile change in every room, typical ethnic house. Next door, my auntie Carmel um, lived in a fibro uh, home, you know, a pre-war home. And, um, and she was my auntie Carmel up until the age of 10 or 11. I didn't make the realization that this, and it's not going to sound politically correct but the white woman next door compared to my olive skin actually wasn't my auntie i just called her my auntie so previous to that i thought she was family 
because she would get me up from school every uh, wake me up because she'd come into the house. My mum, for different reasons, couldn't get up early in the morning. Um, she'd get me breakfast, she'd get me dressed, and she'd get me off to school. And that was what community was all about. Across the road, there were the Greeks, and down the road were the Germans, and everything integrated into this community of people that um, spoke together, um, argued together, but mostly smiled together. And we've lost genuine community connection in Australia. There are dabbles of it around the place. It's the reason that I've um, invested in some areas, um, particularly Tasmania, that haven't lost that community feel, that still have a, an ability to interact with each other, to laugh and smile and meet up um, and be friends and supports. So the focus of what we do in housing actually starts creating community again. When you've got four or five unrelated parties moving into a property together that have never met before, they're now started to create community. And that community becomes family. And without family, you don't have a community. And as much as people don't believe this, the amount of housing that we put out there where an original household starts, one might move out, but they still come back every couple of years every couple of months every couple of weeks to have coffee or tea or you know there's one house that we put together that were all different nationalities in Australia um Australian residents um but different nationalities and they were there and they would be they would do a um, multicultural night that each cook a meal a, a plate from their home country and they would have one meal together once a week and it was just an incredibly beautiful thing to watch that by you can do good and be financially viable at the same time. And that's the strategy we got into. And, you know, the term affordable housing is a dirty term. It's affordable housing is spending no more than 30% of your gross wage on um, housing. And that means if you earn a hundred or $200,000, it might be 600 or $1,200 a week. Right. So um, we cater for the old middle class, which doesn't exist anymore. We've got a top and a bottom. Um, and, I'm just finding like I'm finding that the more that we do, the more that the community builds and the more that it helps out. Um, and especially downsizers, if they want to convert their property and have other people in there, get an income, stay in place so they don't have to get don't have to find the new park, the new shopping center, the new neighbors. They're there, but not only are they there, they've got assistance of people in the house. If they trip over, fall over, get sick, you've got this community starting to base yourself around, which is what we had in the 60s, 70s and early 80s, which is now lost in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. What, why do you think it's lost? Why do you think it's been lost? Um, mini mansions. So, um, you know, chopping up and building um, the same house down a street, um, where the only change is the colour of the front door, um, has created a separation between the integration of um, being different. You know, like I said, in that street that I grew up in, there was our speckle render house, there was a bestos, there was a block of flats just up the road, there was a duplex over there, there was a, a standard house that had hadn't that was just a red brick house. Everything was different, which meant that everyone within that was different as well. But we've now alienated ourselves into these standard size blocks with the standard side house and people don't want to integrate with anything outside of that. And yeah, there might be a generational change that's happening in there. But at the same token, I anyone in a new estate, I I would struggle for them to be able to name um, the parents of, of houses on both sides, two across. So four houses, can you name the, the owners of those properties and 
the answer will be no for 99.9%. And when you when you start to focus on being kept within your own boundaries, that's where you lose community. Mm, yeah, no, that's, um, that's funny. Cause yeah, no, I, t- I tend to agree and it's a, yeah, I'm sure we could deep dive on that one <laughs> a lot more. Cause I, I found within myself since I be, became more community minded, like I started a group uh, in 2019, just by chance and just being community minded, not only has it made my business flow better, but the, the amount of happiness and joy I get from being around community, it's just, it's inexplainable, right? Like there's a lot of joy that comes from it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you give me a choice of making 10 grand or going and helping someone at Bunnings. If I didn't need the 10 grand, um, it's Bunnings every day. Like, yeah, <laughs> bizarre. It's such a bizarre thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, um, that's, that's great. And so, so we we've covered we've covered a lot of ground on on today's call and and I think yeah you know, everything from you know like your discussion in the middle about the importance of persistence and and going through to that that third project you know to the importance of community and and the importance of not losing your way as you're climbing the mountain and you know, just going for the money take a slower path and actually um, create memories along the way. I once heard this analogy, and it was that you can you can drop like like work is like a bouncy ball. So if you drop it, it bounces straight back. But family and things like that you, is like a glass ball, and if you drop it, it doesn't like that time is is gone. And I think that that is um, such a good takeaway for anyone anyone listening to this. But is there any any sort of final last words of wisdom you'd like to sort of leave our listeners with yeah uh a quote that i've put together that i've used for since that um that unhappiest day of my life if it wasn't for the unhappiest day of my life i wouldn't be happy right so i give gratitude to that day um but every day given the ability to make a decision take the uncomfortable option every time because no level of success has ever been achieved without some level of discomfort so get uncomfortable. Yes, and and follow your gut feeling as well. <laughs> at the same, at at the at the at the same time, gut feeling over over logic. And and, and if someone's listened to this and they want to um, reach out with you or or connect with you, what's the best way? We'll find out more about you know your real estate projects and opportunities. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, uh, we rebranded um, to try and get me out of the business, but I got sucked back in again. So Invida um, is the new branding we started a few years ago. So um, Vida in Spanish, I'm Spanish. Um, my, I'm a son of Spanish migrants. Um, Vida means life. Um, so we're bringing life, putting back life into um, housing. So in vida.com.au website there, there's a contact us page. There's a few bits and pieces about what we do. And if you're in position to, if you have an existing property and you want it converted, we can do it um, with my builder's license. Or if you want a new property built for you, purpose build, we can do that as well. Yeah, no, that's great. That's in vida, I-N-V-I-D-A. .com.au. Yeah, excellent. Well, th- thanks so much for your for your time today, Ian. Thanks for being like vulnerable and you know sharing from the you know sharing from the heart. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you you have having you on the podcast. Thank you for having me on.
Yeah, <laughs> welcome. Scott Bywater here, and thank you for listening to the Seven Figure Summit podcast. If you're a successful seven-figure entrepreneur who'd like to share your journey on this podcast, please visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au. If you got something out of this interview, I'd love it if you could share this episode on social media. Likewise, if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Seven Figure Summit. There's nothing I love more than seeing your posts and guest suggestions. Now, we're regularly putting out new episodes of content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to my team and I. If you'd like to connect, go to copywritingthatsells.com.au or follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram under Scott Bywater. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.